Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another SACPA session, a very special session today. Um, SACPA acknowledges that this event takes place on the lands of the Blackfoot people in the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3, and we pay respect to their past, present, and future <coughs> cultural heritage beliefs and relationship to the land. Uh, SACPA is also very thankful for the continuing support we receive from the University of Lethbridge, Shaw Spotlight and the Lethbridge Herald. We're very happy today to have this special session with Dr. Dwayne Bratt on the topic of the UCP government running behind the NDP in the polls halfway through its mandate and what can they do to re-earn the trust of Albertans. Dwayne Brad is a political science professor in the Department of Economics, Justice and Politics policy studies at Mount Royal University in Calgary, Alberta. He was educated at the universities of Windsor and Alberta. He teaches in the area of international relations and Canada public policy. His primary re research interest is in the area of Canadian nuclear policy. Thank you very much for joining us today, um, Dwayne, and we look forward to your presentation. Thank you, Annalise. Uh, it's a it's a pleasure to be here. It's too bad I couldn't be down in uh, Lethbridge in uh, person, uh, but this is uh, the best that we can uh, do. And so I'm glad for everybody who is on the uh, call. Are you going to put the presentation up? Yeah, it's up. It's up. Okay, yeah. I just can't see it. No, no, you okay. just get to see me. <laughs> okay. Um, so this, um, I was asked to look at uh, the UCP midway through their, their mandate. So they were elected back in uh, April of 2019 with a very large majority government. Um, we have an election scheduled for spring of 2023, somewhere between March and May. And so given everything that's been going on in, in Alberta politics, almost on a daily, sometimes hourly basis, it's, uh, it's useful to, to get a sense of, of where we are at this point and, and where we're going forward. Next slide. So here is uh, a picture of uh, Jason Kenney uh, driving into the Big Four building in Calgary on election night in the uh, famous blue truck that he drove around Alberta. Uh, for those who have attended some of my other presentations, uh, I co-edited a book called The Orange Chinook about the NDP's election victory in 2015 and the first three years of their government, and then that was released in, in 2019. We're in the process of of doing a sequel, looking at the 2019 election and the first three years of the UCP government. And uh, whether this is the actual picture or not, I want Kenny in the blue truck somewhere on the cover. Uh, we don't have a working title. I thought about calling it the blue truck, but uh, currently it's the blue storm. Next slide. I just want to walk through some of the uh, the election results of, of 2019 because it's important to understand what happened in, in April of 2019 to where we're going 
uh, now and to where we're going to be in, in 2023. So the traditional rule of thumb in Alberta is that there are three um, stools, um, Edmonton, Calgary, and the rest of the province. And I've got a seat breakdown there. And the rest of the province is kind of a catch-all. It includes small cities like, like Lethbridge or, or Red Deer. It includes rural communities and includes suburbs of, of Calgary and Edmonton. Uh, but it's a, it's a good distinction. And, and you need to win two out of three. Uh, next slide. So um, here is the breakdown. What we see is that we did see a 2-3 split. Um, the NDP dominated Edmonton, won uh, 19 out of 20 seats, well over 50% majority. Uh, Calgary was the other way. Uh, again, 23 out of 26 seats went UCP uh, with over 50% of the vote. But what really drove uh, the UCP into into power uh, was its overwhelming dominance in, in the rest of uh, Alberta. The NDP won only two seats, one in St. Albert, one in uh, Lethbridge. Next slide. So the overall election results um, break down here. Um, Jason Kenney refers to it as the largest uh, electoral mandate in Alberta's history, but he's focusing on the fact that a million people voted for the UCP. When we break it down by seat, by uh, uh, vote percentage, it was a big win. But unlike previous years, previous switches of government, the opposition was never destroyed. So, you know, when 71 came in and Peter Lougheed wins the, the election with the PCs for the first time, social credit is largely wiped out. When social credit won in 1935, they wiped out the United Farmers of Alberta. And for that matter, when the NDP won in 2015, the, the PCs were down to 10 seats, and Jim Prentice resigned that night. Next slide. In comparison, you know, here is the NDP caucus, and it's not just that there are 24 of them. For the first time, we have a sitting premier as leader of the opposition and 10 cabinet ministers. It's a very deep opposition bench, and it really shows that Alberta, after decades and decades of, of one-party dominance has moved into a two-party system. And this really uh, is going to make a, a, a difference in, in how the election plays out. So this is the high point for Kenny. You know, wins this massive majority government. Let's fast forward to 2021. Next slide. This is polling data that comes from uh, Janet Brown that she did for, for CBC. Janet Brown has done regular polling for the CBC about once a year uh, to, to give a sense of, of where Alberta is. Uh, I am one of the academic advisors on uh, the poll, so I help to design the questions and have been involved in a number of commentaries and news stories that, that flowed from this data. And what it shows is that if an election was held today, or in this case in, in April, it would be a majority government for the, uh, for the NDP. Not only do they consolidate their, their growth in, in Edmonton, but Calgary, they would win a majority of, of seats. That in itself would, would form a majority government for the, uh, for the NDP. But you also notice in that other category, <clears throat> the UCP has dropped some about 65% to 39%. They still lead, but they would not be in a position where they would win um, you know, 39 out of 41 
uh, seats. You'll also see a wide segment at the end of the graph, you know, looking at unspecified Wild Rose Independence Party, Alberta Party, and, and others. And there's a large section there of about 25% uh, of people that simply don't know where to go. Uh, it, they're not going to the NDP. They have left the UCP. Um, they, they would like a third option, but very different third options. The question is, would those third options uh, still exist uh, in, in the election? Meaning, would, the, would these parties have candidates in every riding? Would they be able to run a competitive election? They would not be in the leaders' debate. And I'm going to come back to that point uh, because it's, it's probably the one piece of potentially good news for the UCP that, that exists. Next slide. It's not just the party. Um, we also see the downward spiral in impressions of, of Jason Kenney. Um, so in, in 2018, so a year before the, the election, you know, his, his approval ratings of low to uh, of mid to high was about, you know, just under 60%. Not great. Um, for, for a party on the, on the verge of, of winning a big government, but still pretty substantive. In the lead up to COVID, so just before COVID hits in March of 2020, it had dropped to a little over 50%. So a noticeable drop, but still over 50%. Um, then we see today where it has dropped to uh, below uh, 50% and a very high unapproval rating um you know 53 percent rank them anywhere from zero to three out of out of ten um these impressions uh, are going to be very difficult for for jason kenny to uh to turn around so what went wrong those are the numbers how did we get here next slide well this was uh the campaign slogan in 2019 jobs economy pipelines and one of the reasons, one of the problems that Kenny's got is he's 0 for 3 right now. Uh, jobs situation is worse now than when he was elected. The economic situation is worse than when he was elected. And no new pipelines have, have come forward. And in fact, none are expected uh, by 2023, with the exception of the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which was bought and supported by the Trudeau government under great pressure of Rachel Notley. So he could be walking into an election in 2023 where the only pipeline that was built was built by the, the, the preceding government. That's not the only issue. I mean, you could make the case that it was COVID. And, and the, you know, the 15 months of COVID is what has hurt the jobs, hurt the economy. Um, pipelines, that's a, that's a different story. But I would argue it's not just COVID, and, and COVID is only part of it. So, next slide. Here are some of the non-COVID factors that has led to uh, um, the problems with the UCP and, and the Kenny government. The first is the Fair Deal panel. This was cobbled together in the aftermath of the federal election uh, that was in the fall of 2019. Jason Kenney campaigned actively against Justin Trudeau. He campaigned against him outside of the province of Alberta. Nevertheless, Trudeau was was reelected, although he uh, he was wiped out in, in Alberta. He lost every seat in Alberta, and the Conservatives won close to 70% uh, of the vote uh, 
uh, total. So in the aftermath of, of that, he put together this panel, it, it, it traveled the province, made a series of recommendations that included uh, pulling out of the Canadian Pension Plan, creating an Alberta Provincial Police Force and getting rid of the, the RCMP, uh, a referendum on, on equalization, uh, uh, getting rid of Revenue Canada and creating an Alberta Tax Collection Agency. But in polling that we have done, many of these big items around provincial police, pensions, and um, re uh, tax collection never have received majority support. Uh, they, they exist around 30 to 35% of, of Albertans support these ideas. So by putting them forward and, and, and emphasizing them, they're unpopular ideas. Um, there will be a referendum on equalization. We don't know what the question is. The question is going to, to matter, and we'll see uh, what that um, transpires. Then we have the doctor salary negotiations. This came out of the McKinnon report. The McKinnon report um, was commissioned uh, by the Kenny government. It was released in the September of 2019, and it called for cuts to public sector spending. And they identified that public sector workers, teachers, professors, nurses made too much money, but they also emphasized doctors. And so they started to implement a way of reducing compensation for doctors. Then COVID hit. And this is a combination of a non-COVID factor and a COVID factor. And fighting doctors in the middle of a health pandemic was not a good idea. But it was clear that Kenny had a plan and he wasn't going to budge from that plan um, even when uh, conditions required. This led to uh, a withdrawal of services in some parts of, of rural Alberta. It looked like an agreement was made. Um, Tyler Shandro, the Minister of Health, reached an agreement with the AMA, but it was it was not ratified by the membership, which was uh, very rare that something like that occurs. Then we've got coal mining on the, on the eastern slopes. Um, this morning, the public consultation uh, results were released. Over 25,000 Albertans participated in it, and over 90% of them disagreed with mining on the on the in the Rocky Mountains. And so there has been a reversal of policy around coal mining. Initially, the government's attitude was, you know, uh, think about the jobs. The only people that uh, are concerned by this are the regular malcontents in the, in the cities and the NDP. In fact, widespread opposition. People in Alberta love the Rocky Mountains and they don't want to see coal mining on there. Then the school curriculum. This was part of their election campaign. They, they argued that the NDP's process of, of revising the school curriculum was politicized, even though the NDP was building off what the previous PC government was doing. So they put a pause on that. They've implemented their own, and there's been widespread opposition uh, for what is included in there, particularly on the, uh, the social studies uh, curriculum that they feel is either too advanced or too ideological. The vast majority of school boards will not pilot it, so school curriculum has become quite the issue. Next slide. 
one of the campaign promises that Kenny also made was what he called the fight back strategy on behalf of Alberta's oil and gas industry. And they were going to do a variety of things. They were going to fight Justin Trudeau. They were going to fight uh, Premier Horgan in, in BC. They were going to create a, a war room uh, to look at uh, or to defend Alberta's oil and gas sector. They were going to have an inquiry led by Stephen Allen to look at foreign funding of environmental groups. Um, I will say on every one of these strategies, they don't have a win and may have made the situation worse. The war room began with plagiarizing logos, trying to bully small town papers like in Medicine Hat. They attacked the New York Times. They've been going after international insurance companies. Um, they, the, the Netflix film Bigfoot has been on their target. The Allen inquiry is over budget. It is delayed. They are not meeting with the environmental groups that they are suggesting are foreign funding. They're supposed to release it by the end of May, but I think they're going to miss that deadline as well. Uh, over a year ago, the government purchased uh, the Keystone Pipeline or, or portions of the Keystone Pipeline, um, invested close to $1.5 billion in that purchase. And the, the first day that, that U.S. President Joe Biden was inaugurated, Joe Biden canceled the KXL purchase. And so Albertans are out about $1.5 billion. And then there was a, uh, a suit against the federal carbon tax that went all the way to the Supreme Court. And Jason Kenney and Doug Ford and Scott Moe all lost that, that suit. So the fight back strategy, they may be fighting, but they're not, they're not winning. And then we get to COVID. Next slide. I would make the case that Alberta managed the first wave of COVID, you know, uh, March, April, May of 2020 quite well. We had some of the lowest death rates, some of the lowest hospitalizations, some of the lowest caseloads uh, in the country. But we were hit very hard by the second wave in, in November and uh, up to January, and we're hit even harder that should be by the third wave in, uh, that's currently going on. At some points, we have now been passed by Manitoba, but for over a month, Alberta had the worst record in Canada and the worst record in, in North America. And so almost every metric of, of COVID, Alberta is being hit really, really hard. Next slide. Uh, just under 2,200 Albertans have died. Our cases were the, as I said, when I wrote this, were the worst per capita in Canada. Manitoba um, has surpassed us, which is not good for Manitoba. We did hit a peak of 2,500 cases about two weeks ago. Uh, it is now down to uh, less than 800 as of yesterday. Some of that, I think, is due to the increased vaccinations. Some of that is due to the increased restrictions that were put in place over two weeks ago, and especially the increased enforcement of those restrictions. Hospitalizations, however, continue to rise, and they're well over double of what existed in, in early April. And hospitalizations are a lag indicator uh, from previous caseloads and ICUs are at the highest ever and they're threatening to to overwhelm uh, the Alberta healthcare system. 
Next slide. This was from the press conference yesterday. And you can see the baseline ICU beds is 173. And uh, ICU COVID only is above that line. Overall ICU, which is COVID cases and non-COVID cases, is well above that line. And we, we haven't hit the maximum capacity, but that's a surge capacity. That was additional uh, occupancy that they put in, into place. And so we do not want to come close to that, to that red line of, of 425. Next slide. Why is Alberta so bad compared to COVID? Um, I would make the case, and in fact, I'm stealing this from Jason Kenney in his TV address um, from two weeks ago, that Alberta has a compliance problem. But he never reflected on why Alberta has a compliance problem. And so I would make the case that Alberta has a compliance problem for, for three major reasons. One has been government mismessaging. Overall, I think the government has treated COVID seriously and its messaging has been serious. But every once in a while, Jason Kenney or their public relations team will kind of minimize it. So back uh, last fall or sorry, last spring, you know, he said it was just like the flu. It was just like influenza. Then last fall, he mentioned about how he could mandate masks across the province. But if he did so, people would simply take their masks off. Um, when they initially rolled out their vaccine plan, the emphasis seemed to be that vaccines were voluntary. That was in large print. And then in smaller print, it was, um, but please take the vaccine, it will save your life. And it seemed to put the emphasis on the wrong message. He's got a caucus that seemed to be fighting restrictions, most notably the travel gate when his chief of staff, uh, Minister of Municipal Affairs, Tracy Allard, and five other UCP backbenchers uh, took international trips over, over Christmas, even though they had been messaging to other Albertans to stay at home over the holidays. So the, the, this has been an ongoing fight within his own people. And finally, the lack of enforcement. Up until the last two weeks, we've had some high-profile incidents of, of outright defiance. I think the Bowdoin Rodeo is probably the biggest symbol of that, but there's been weekend anti-mask protests. In, in Calgary and, and Edmonton uh, for, for months. But over the last two weeks, we have seen um, you know crackdowns. We've seen some of the, the prominent uh, Christian preachers who were uh, violating it being, being arrested. We saw the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mirror, Alberta being padlocked and its owner being arrested. We've seen um, ticketing of the uh, Bowdoin Rodeo uh, organizers. So these three things around messaging, the UCP caucus, fighting restrictions, and lack of enforcement, I think has been corrected over the last two weeks. But at what consequence? What, how many deaths, how many people getting sick, how many long-haul illnesses will we have seen by this delay uh, that could have been done in, in March or early April? Next slide. The UCP caucus revolt. 
So this was last week's news. Uh, Drew Barnes has been critical. The the um, MLA for Cypress Hill Medicine Hat has been critical of the Kennedy government for over a year on almost every file. He wanted a referendum on separation, not a referendum on equalization. He has been upset with the budget. Uh, and he has been upset with COVID. He joined with Angela Pitt, the MLA from Airdrie, uh, an anti-lockdown caucus with, with Maxine Bernier, Randy Hillier, and, and Derek Sloan. Um, they've subsequently left that lockdown caucus, but it, it shows where their sympathies lie. For months, there was rumblings amongst constituency associations about a leadership review. The leadership review is now planned for November, uh, the fall of 2022, which would be about five months, six months before the election, but there remains calls for um, uh, an emergency review. And then in early April, 15 UCP MLAs, who were then joined by three more, signed a public letter criticizing uh, COVID restrictions. And that was when there was a mild delay. Think about where we are now if, if, if we hadn't put in the measures that, that we did. Then Thursday morning, just after midnight, Todd Lowen, um, the UCP caucus chair, resigns his post, releases a scathing letter outlining all the flaws he sees with the Kenny government, some on policies like the doctor negotiations, like the coal mining. Uh, he argues we haven't been tough enough with what he calls a hostile federal government. But a lot of it was also about the leadership style, that caucus was not being listened to, it was very top-down, that the UCP was a grassroots vehicle, not a vehicle for one man. Uh, and then he ends by publicly calling for the resignation of, of Jason Kenney. There was a caucus meeting scheduled for that morning that had been canceled. They quickly rescheduled another caucus mem uh, meeting to um, vote on expelling Todd Lewin, Lowen, and then they added Drew Barnes to the list as well. This was um, a remarkable day. Um, typically, if you're a backbencher and you call for the leader to resign, that should be a 30-minute conversation with caucus, and then you're expelled. The fact that it took seven hours shows that there's a lot of other UCP MLAs that share Lowen and Barnes's view about Kenny. Uh, the fact that it was not a secret ballot, the fact that the results were not released, the fact that a confidential caucus meeting was live tweeted by the Western Standard, a, a far-right uh, media outlet throughout the day, it, it was a remarkable day. These two were removed, but I think in the, in the days and weeks to come, we may see more UCP MLAs walk out. Angela Pitt, perhaps, uh, who has joined with Barnes on many of the anti-COVID restrictions file. Dave Hansen, who supported Todd Lowen's uh, letter. Uh, and there may be others as well. So, well, Kenny put down the revolt on Thursday. I, I think there's still a lot more that there could transpire. So is there any good news out of any of this for the UCP? Is, we, is the election in 2023 already over? I don't think so. I, I think there still is a, a path for victory for the UCP, but it's getting narrower and narrower. So I'm going to conclude by looking at, is there any optimism that conservatives can have? Next slide. 
The first is our polling seems to show that the NDP has hit a ceiling of about 40 to 43 percent. The UCP is down 22 points from the 2019 election, but only seven of those have gone to the NDP. Fifteen of them seem to be disenchanted conservatives, people upset with Kenny, and they don't know where to go. Are they going to go to a different party? Um, Are they going to stay at home? We simply don't know. Now, the NDP, you can win an election with 40 to 43% of the vote. Uh, The NDP won 40% of the vote in 2015, but it has to be a multi-party election. If it is a two-party election, having 40 to 43% is not good enough for the NDP. Um, And so that is why I think Jason Kenney is spending so much time trying to keep the UCP united because if there is a larger splinter from them, that provides an avenue for, for the NDP. And finally, on the COVID file, this will be the last slide, um, vaccinations and the rollout has been steady. It's been increasing. We're at over 2 million Albertans. We're at over 50% of eligible Albertans have now received at least, at least one shot. It's estimated that by June we'll be at 70% which means we can start to do second shots. This will also allow us to gradually reduce COVID restrictions. When we do that, it's going to reduce societal anxiety, um, who quite frankly are going stir crazy after 15 months. It will provide an immediate economic boost. And so the vaccination rollout is going to be critical for Jason Kenney. This is a necessary but not sufficient condition for the UCP to prevail. So we need the vaccinations to roll out, but he also has to keep the UCP together. And that's why the caucus revolt was so important. And there's also the legacy of COVID. Are people gonna say, well, the economy is, is, is working again, the restrictions are gone, Are we not going to remember the 2,200 people who died? Are we not going to remember not being able to go to our parents' or grandparents' funeral? Are we not going to remember, for a a social conservative, the shutting down of of certain churches? Um, Two years is a long time, but I think what has transpired over the last 15 months is so important uh, that people are going to keep that in, in, in mind. So things are, are bleak for the UCP now. There is a, a pathway for victory, but it is narrow for them right now. And uh, with that, I'll uh, conclude my uh, presentation and we can start to open it up for um, questions and comments. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I will jump right into the questions. And the first question is, is I, can, I guess, more of a comment by Ian Hurdle. Alberta has had the dubious record of highest COVID case numbers per population for the last two months, with the pleas for stricter lockdown for eight months mostly ignored. Will mostly ignored? Will the UCP be able to hide this? Well, I and I made this comment that about two weeks ago we saw a reversal of UCP policy. I think they brought in the strictest restrictions that we've had throughout COVID two weeks ago, uh, most notably um, 
the ban on patios and elementary school kids being sent home for online learning. But the biggest shift was the enforcement. And I would absolutely agree that there was a lack of enforcement for months. I think that was enabled and encouraged by certain members of the governing caucus, like Angela Pitt, like Drew Barnes, like Todd Lowen. But there has been a change. The question is, was it too little too late? In, in other words, are how many people died how many people got sick? How many will continue to be sick because of not doing this in, let's say, late March or early April, but waiting till the situation was so dire before taking action? Um, I think that's something that the, the voters were, would, would, would see. Our next question comes from Kunut Peterson. While it can be argued that Kenny is politically savvy, is it fair to say that he really doesn't have a good grasp on how to run the province, made even worse by a very shallow MLA talent pool? So there's a couple things on this. There's been a lot of discussion um, that I have seen that you know suggests that, that Kenny was overrated, that he didn't have the, the political skills that the people um, made the case for earlier. I would argue Kenny has got lots of political strengths, lots of political skills, but also some very severe weaknesses. And those weaknesses are very apparent right now. One of his skills was in organization and planning. It, I think, was amazing that he was able to bring Wild Rose and PC together so quickly. Um, you may say, well, they did that federally. Yeah, they did that federally, but it took 15 years for them to do it. It took multiple election losses before they were able to do it. In the case here, they lost one election, and next thing you know, the, the party is united. And I think that was largely due to Jason Kenney. I think he had a spreadsheet and a calendar on his wall when he became premier, outlining all of the steps that he was going to do and when he was going to do that. Then COVID hit, and you would think that when COVID hits, you move off the plan, and you adjust, and you respond to events, and that, I think, highlights his weakness. He has not done that. You, you could see it with the battle with the doctors. It's like, I have this plan. I know things have changed, but we're going to go ahead with the plan. Well, the plan wasn't working, and this highlights one of his weaknesses. I think another weakness he's got is he lacks empathy. He lacks the ability to apologize. Uh, I think the the examples I would cite were the travel gate. When the MLAs went away for the holidays, Kenny came out on January 1st with a really defiant press conference saying he wasn't going to take any action against them. They didn't do anything wrong. And there was such a backlash over the next couple of days that they had to retreat but he didn't apologize. He sent Rick McIver and Tyler Shandro out to apologize. On the coal mining, he sent um, Sonia Savage out to apologize. So Kenny doesn't do empathy. He doesn't do apologies. And then finally, he has surrounded himself with a handful of advisors who are not only combative. Um, you can see this on, on social media where they attack 
any potential criticism of the government by claiming that you must be an NDP -er, or why do you hate Alberta? And I also think related to the combativeness, Kenny was an Alberta based MP for about 20 years federally, but he didn't spend a whole lot of time in Alberta. He spent most of his time in Ottawa, uh, traveling internationally or working for conservative votes in, in BC or Ontario or, or Quebec. So his knowledge base of Alberta, I think is dated. It could very well be the early mid 1990s when he was with the Alberta Taxpayers Federation. So I do believe Jason Kenney has an awful lot of political skill. I also think he has some big weaknesses and, and I think COVID has really highlighted those, those weaknesses. Our next question comes from Trevor Page. To what extent do you think Alberta's COVID-19 record will affect the results of the next election? Oh, I think it's been going to be critical. Uh, I think um, most premiers and the prime minister in the early stages of COVID got a bump. We saw John Horgan get reelected. Um, we saw Scott Moe get reelected. We saw the government in New Brunswick get reelected. Um, if an election was held today, Justin Trudeau would, would get reelected. Kenny never got that bump. Even though, as I said, I think Alberta handled the first wave quite well. And uh, I, I think his, his COVID response has been so weak that um, it will be. The election of 2023, while there's so many different issues out there, the focus is going to be on COVID and, and how Kenny responded to, to COVID. So I, I think you're right on that. Our next question comes from Knut Peterson. Is there a new UCP leader waiting in the wings? Dot, 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 Brian Jean, dot, 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 <laughs> Jason Nixon, or someone totally new? So it, it, I find it absolutely amazing that we are talking about the replacement of Jason Kenney, um, given that he was the architect of this party. He brought it together. Um, you know, Todd Lowen may say, well, it was a grassroots party. It was not a vehicle for one man. Well, that one man was indispensable to creating the party. He wins a large majority government. And then two years later, we're talking serious conversations about who could replace him. Brian Jean has not gone away. He has periodically come into the fray. And I will add Todd Lowen supported Brian Jean in the leadership race. Brian Jean has been writing columns and Facebook posts highlighting some of these same complaints about not listening to um, your MLAs and having advisors that maybe don't understand Alberta. Uh, Brian Jean was the Wild Rose leader. People like Brian Jean, even political opponents like Brian Jean. But he lost the leadership race to Jason Kenney. And, but I will say, under murky circumstances, the whole kamikaze campaign stuff, uh, there is no love lost between Gene and, and, and Kenney. I think what has been remarkable is the attacks that we have seen from Kenney. We haven't seen a whole lot of public defenders of Kenney. Where have been the cabinet ministers like Jason Nixon, uh, like Sonia Savage, like... 
uh, Travis Taves out defending the government. We're, we're not seeing that. So could it be another cabinet minister? Possibly. Could it be an outsider like Brian Jean, like a, uh, a Michelle Rempel Garner? Um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. I think Nathan Cooper, the current speaker of the uh, legislature, I think has leadership ambitions as well. So uh, let's, uh, let's wait and see what, what happens. Uh, but uh, this wouldn't be the first time that conservatives have removed a, uh, a sitting premier. Our next question comes from uh, Leona Jacobs. Do you think that Albertans, oops, sorry, it just jumped. Um, do you think that Albertans slowed down by COVID were simply paying more attention to the issues? In other words, if COVID wasn't happening, and then in brackets, life as usual, would the same discontent have happened? That's a really tough question. I, I would agree that people are paying an awful lot of attention to COVID. And I just think of the the daily uh, press conferences that uh, Dina Henshaw has. I catch most of them. And anytime that Shandro and Kenny come, I make sure that I'm in, in attendance. And tens of thousands of Albertans are watching those as, as well. And that's because COVID affects every aspect of your life. But the spinoff is because COVID affects so much part of your life, you're also looking at other issues. And I think we're a lot more politically aware than we we may have been. One of Kenny's strategies, one of his plans was to move quickly on so many different files that you wouldn't know what was happening. You couldn't focus on curriculum because you had the war room and you couldn't focus on coal mining because they were bringing recall legislation in. And you couldn't focus on the Allen inquiry because they were buying Keystone and all of these things. So um, I think that was by design to, to hit in so many different directions simultaneously. But I think COVID has made Albertans more, more aware and has put a greater uh, emphasis on these other issues. But the fact is, even on these other issues, there haven't been a whole lot of, of wins. There hasn't been a whole lot of success. There may be success for some of his UCP base. In Todd Lowen's letter, he never mentioned school curriculum, for example. Or Kenny will often mention, and Jason Nixon will often mention, how many bills that they passed. Nobody cares the, uh, uh, how much of their platform that they were able to implement if they didn't get jobs, economy, and pipeline. Our next question comes from Terry Shillington. Do you think the economy may boom in the next two years and erase the memory of these government failures? So there will be, as I say, a, an economic boost when they drop these restrictions, uh, when things start to get back to, 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 to order. And while there are people who are economically hurting because of COVID, there is a subset of the population that actually has surplus money uh, because they have been able to work throughout the pandemic, but they haven't been able to go out to restaurants and go to movies and go to sporting events and travel. They've got, they've got money to spend. That means that there will be a stimulus when this occurs. But let's keep in mind, the economy wasn't great pre-COVID. The budget deficit was high pre-COVID. Uh, and Alberta has been battling 
a, an economic downturn since the fall of 2014 that really hasn't gone away, largely due to bigger international forces uh, around oil policy. So yes, while there will be a stimulus, there will be a boost in the economy, what is our benchmark? Is our benchmark going to be what the economy is like in the fall of 2021 compared to what it was like in COVID? Or are we going to compare it to what it was like in 2019 or 2018? Or are we going to go back to what it was like in 2012? It all depends on where the, the bar is. Our next question comes from Laurie Schultz. What would an Alberta look like were we governed by the caucus revolt MLAs? What might be the policies by uh, what might their policies be on COVID, education, health, environment, coal mining, post-secondary? Then dot dot dot. Please theorize. <laughs> so I'm going to start off by quoting Katie Merrifield. Uh, Katie Merrifield uh, was a former senior advisor to Jason Kenney. So she is a Kenney loyalist. Um, she has left the government, so she's no longer part of the government. She's actually living in BC now. She was on the West of Center podcast that CBC does that I often appear on. I wasn't on this particular one on the weekend. And she was criticizing Lowen and Barnes and some of the others. She said 80% of the UCP caucus are great people. She goes 20% of them couldn't properly run a lemonade stand on a hot summer day. So she was pretty dismissive of them. I think if Todd Lowen and Drew Barnes were running the government, um, you would see minimal COVID restrictions. Um, and you would you would see uh, a, a referendum on separating from Canada, and uh, you would see a bunch of uh, of other things. So I know there's a lot of UCP haters um, who really want to see Kenny go down, but there are people within that caucus that I would argue would be a lot worse than. Than Jason Kenney on a lot of different uh, on a lot of different files. That doesn't mean that Kenny is is a balancing act. It doesn't mean that he has made mistakes. But I would rather have Jason Kenney as premier than Drew Barnes. Our next question comes from Trevor Page. What are the main issues that have emerged thus far that make the NDP increasingly popular? Uh, I think they're increasingly popular simply because they're not the UCP. It's not so much of what the NDP has done, but when you have a two-party system, as I think we, we've seen, not just with uh, vote percentages of, of opinion polls, but fundraising and the like, if you are really upset with the UCP, where do you go? It's, it's the NDP. I think the NDP has also led on a lot of files, uh, parks particularly, coal mining. I think they, they showed some real leadership on, on that. And typically the end, typically parties own issues, right? Conservative parties tend to own economic issues. Social democratic parties tend to own health issues and education issues. Nobody cared about health and education in the 2019 election. Everything was about the economy. But during COVID, if you're the party that owns healthcare, 
I think that that supports uh, Rachel Notley as well. There's also a sense that Rachel Notley has a better pulse on Alberta than Jason Kenney does. She's born here, raised here, lived here. Um, she can ride a horse, <laughs> not a blue pickup truck. Um, so I think that helps uh, that helps Rachel Notley. But the biggest benefit of Rachel Notley is that she is not Jason Kenney. Okay. Um, I wonder if I can, as the moderator, ask a question. Um, what about the idea of Alberta... Um, Albertans actually voting out rather than voting in on this particular issue of the NDP in particular? Oh, I, I mean, that's an old political science standard that we don't elect governments, we throw governments out. Did people vote in Rachel Notley in, in 2015 or did we throw out the PC dynasty? Did we elect Jason Kenney in 2019 or did we throw out Rachel Notley? Um, if uh, Notley returns to power in 2023. Um, is it because of Rachel Notley or is it because we want to throw out Jason Kenney? By the way, if you think about the history of Alberta politics, we tend to elect governments for a long period of time, then we toss them out and we never hear from them again. So the Liberal Party governed, then they were gone. Then the United Farmers Alberta, then they were gone, then the Socreds, then the PCs. Jason Kenney used to brag about the NDP, that they were one and done. If Rachel Notley returns to power in 2023, it'd be the first time a party returned to power, be the first time an individual lost the premiership and returned as premier. We would be like many other provinces in this in this country. Um, in the sense that we have a, a party on the left and, and a party on the on the right, um, and so it. Uh, but I can tell you, if if Jason Kenney loses the election in twenty twenty three, he would not stick around as an opposition leader like Rachel Notley did. Our next question comes from Ian Hurdle. Any comment on law change? that precludes lawsuits against nursing homes, especially private ones, for failure of care. Yeah, this was one of those pieces of legislation that was passed kind of, I wouldn't say in the middle of the night, but passed while everything was going on with COVID and, and all the other restrictions and, and all the other battles on different files that they brought in this, this policy, making it very, very difficult to sue private uh, nursing homes. And uh, I think we need to learn a lot more about how that actually came about why that came about and what were the, the motivations behind it. Again, it's, it's one of those things with so many things going on, most people didn't see that on their, uh, on their radar and that was just kind of snuck in in the, in the legislation. Our next question comes from Laurie Schultz. Would you comment on Kenny's big picture plan for himself? Is his Alberta premiership a stepping stone back to Ottawa? Well, it would be tough to do that now, uh, I, I think. Um, you know, I, I really believe that Kenny returned to Alberta for, for a couple of reasons. One is I think he, he was not interested in being an opposition uh, MP. He had been, you know, in cabinet. They, he had been in government. 
And I think he saw that the tradition in Canada is that federal governments get reelected. And he wasn't interested in, in, in wasting the rest of his political future. I think if Kenny had run in uh, to replace Stephen Harper, he would have beat Andrew Scheer. He would have won. Um, but I don't think he wanted to be an opposition leader. And coming back to Alberta and being premier was pretty good. That didn't mean that it wouldn't preclude him coming back, right? If the idea was he comes to Alberta, he reunites the conservative movement, he wins a majority government, he gets the economy on track, he builds a pipeline, he's got a record of success, then he goes back into federal politics right around the time that people are getting unhappy with um, with Justin Trudeau. I don't think things have gone according to plan. <laughs> uh, and in fact, uh, you know, um, being tossed out by your own party, losing an election, uh, that isn't going to make you recruitable for, for federal politics. So I think he wanted to keep the federal door open. I think that door is, uh, is now closed. One of the interesting things in, in the poll that Janet Brown did, though, was to show the impressions of Jason Kenney and compare it to Justin Trudeau. We tend to think that the Trudeau is incredibly disliked across Alberta, his popularity is right around where Jason Kenney's is. So you can take that for what it's, uh, what it's worth. And it's quite possible that if a federal election was held in the, in the fall, the Liberals could actually pick up a couple of seats in, in Calgary and Edmonton. Our next question comes from Bev Mundell. Albertans have shown in the past they have a short memory of government ills what do you think kenny will do to resolve to reverse its fortunes right before the election oh without a doubt we tend to focus on uh events much closer to an election than than further away from an election i think COVID is fundamentally different i i i think that people are going to remember this pandemic uh i think kenny once the pandemic is over, he is going to emphasize the the, uh, the the positives. He's going to talk about how quick the vaccine rollout was. He's going to talk about the economic recovery. He's going to claim that the measures that he took kept the death toll down. Um, critics will, will argue the, the exact opposite. So people are not going to forget what happened over COVID. But their talking points, I think, may may differ going forward. So you'll often hear when we when there were shortages of vaccines, that was due to the federal government. When people were getting vaccinated and are getting vaccinated, that was due to the provincial government. And I think that's going to be his messaging. All the positive news will be the steps that Kenny took. All the negative stuff is going to be Trudeau's fault. Our next question comes from Leona Jacobs. Can you add some context to the new Select Special Committee on Real Property Rights? I just learned of this and I have no idea of its purpose or why it has been formed, only that it is not discussing issues of coal, water, etc. 
Yeah, and again, I'm not as up to speed on on that, uh, just as I've mentioned with with so many other things going on, similar to the the legislation around uh, nursing homes and long-term care facilities. Uh, The fact that you get suspicious about a committee called real property rights, how are they different from other property uh, rights, I think is, is concerning. And I think it does tie back into, uh, into the coal issue uh, somehow, despite the fact that an overwhelming majority of Albertans oppose coal mining and oppose removing the uh, moratorium that the Lougheed government brought in in the 1970s, it is clear that there are elements of the of the UCP government that want to continue with, with, with coal mining in some fashion. Great. Uh, it looks like we've run out of questions in the queue. Um, we've got a couple of um, uh, thank you comments from Jim Miller, your insight your insightful analytics of pol- politics in Alberta is much appreciated. Thank you, Dwayne, for a great and interesting talk. And then Laurie Schultz. Dwayne, thank you for your knowledgeable anal- analysis this morning. Very much appreciated. Um, before we... Oops, my mic was off. I Sorry, folks. I was just reading out the thank yous there. Uh, from Laurie Schultz and um, Jim Miller that were in the chat. Dwayne, before we uh, wrap up this session, do you have a take-home message for our viewers? Yeah, I, I would say given that we were, we're focused uh, on politics, particularly electoral politics, it, it is not a surprise. It's been the theme that the UCP government right now is in a lot of trouble. And it's in trouble because it has opposition outside of the party and it has opposition within the party. Uh, But that does not mean that there is not a path for Kenny to get out of this if he can hold the UCP together for the next couple weeks, next couple months as the, as the vaccines uh, roll out and as cases and hospitalizations start to gradually go down. But it's going to be very, very difficult for him to manage this. Think about the fact that we are in a health pandemic and he's having to spend time with internal politics. Other premiers are not having to do this. And even when we're out of COVID, the legacy, the remembrance of COVID is still going to be front of mind when we go to the polls in spring of 2023. Lovely. Um, I apparently skipped a question. Are you okay if I ask one more question? Sure. We've got, we've got three minutes. So. Okay. My apologies, Ian, um, to Ian Hurdle. Um, who asked the question, government and AHS has a five-week warning from meat processing plants in South Dakota, but failed to act on it to protect our meat plant workers. Yeah, well, and some of the big outbreaks have been in uh, the meat, the Cargill meat packing plant in, in High River. Uh, I think they... Um, the knowledge that we have of COVID is that it, it spreads in indoor places where there's a large number of people uh, closely working together, like a meatpacking plant. They were supposed to rapid test and, and, and rapid vaccine 
uh, vaccine, the workers there. They have started to do that, but it was delayed going forward. And so I, that was one of the decisions that they made and that people are going to go back and say, what were the consequences of, of making those decisions? Lovely. Thank you so much, Dwayne, for spending some time with us. It was wonderful to see you again and have you with SACPA. Um, folks, for uh, our Thursday, uh, please join us on Thursday at our regular time again. What does an independent case study of the Alberta Energy Regulators Coal Mining Regulations tell us with Man Mandy Olsgaard? That's it for us today. Thanks very much, Dwayne. Thank you, everybody, and hopefully uh, next year I can be there in person down in Lethbridge. We, we look forward to that, and I'll end the stream now.